Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Barrett Bowden. I'm lead pastor here at Island Community Church, and a special welcome to you. I'm so grateful for our church family, and I'm so grateful that you have joined us today. If you are a visitor with us today, I just want you to know that we welcome you. We're so grateful for you. Uh, We are a church that actively is seeking a relationship with God, and we are a church that praises a God who has loved us in Jesus Christ, and I pray that Today you know his love for you, uh, even if you just understand it through the love that we have for you. So thank you for being here. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I would encourage you to get them open to the book of Romans chapter 5. We are going to be talking about a passage that is about every single one of us. Aren't you excited? You are in the Bible. And today we are going to be talking about how you are in the Bible, um, in the passage of our focus, and that is Romans chapter five, starting in verse 12 through verse 21. Today's message is called, if you're taking notes, and I hope you will, y'all can read it with me because it rhymes, and I just love this, you guys. I am that silly of a pastor that I loved making this sermon title for you, all right? Here we go. Justification by representation, all right. Justification by representation. Today, we're gonna be looking at Romans chapter five, verse 12 through 21. Um, We have been studying the book of Romans together as a church family, and for those who are curious about relationship with God, for those who are thinking, who are seeking, for those who this morning or perhaps even hurting or needing help and hope. I really believe that this morning, if you are hungry for God and you are curious and open-minded, you will hear from God as his word speaks. I'll start in verse 12, reading from the English Standard Version. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, So death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For it is by the one man's disobedience, the many were made right sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. This morning, we are going to be looking together at this passage and this topic, justification by representation. And we're going to be looking at the truest story, big picture narrative of the world, from Adam to Christ. I'm excited to uh, study this passage together, and I want to just show you here as we look at our beginning of the study, right here in verse 12, as you look here at what this scripture says, you notice right at the start of verse 12, the focus text for the day, what word is there? Therefore, and you being a good student of the Bible and member here at ICC know that when you see the word therefore, you've got to ask the question, what is it? Exactly, all right? And so what we know is that even before we get into the passage today, here in verse 12, we've got to remember what has been happening up to this point because everything is building upon everything else. We've been talking throughout this series about the gospel. This is the theme of Paul's letter. Paul writes with a passion for good news. He writes saying, look, I'm here to just talk to you about this announcement. I'm here to come and I'm not here to bring advice to you. I'm not here to, to, to tell you what you need to do. I'm here to bring news to you. I'm here to bring an announcement of something that has been done for you. And I'm here to talk to you about what God has done in Jesus Christ. Because see, God has done everything needed from start to finish to save all who trust in Jesus. And this is the greatest news. Paul writes with a passion for this gospel message, which we've been talking about uh, in verses 16 and 17 that we've been reciting every week that we're together. Uh, They're summarized so well in these verses. And if you know it, you can say it with me or if you can read the screens. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. We've been talking about um, how Paul begins the book and helping us see how desperately we need this news. Because all of us are great sinners. Things are broken in the world, and not just broken in the world around us, things are broken within us. Things are broken in our hearts. Things are broken, most importantly, in our relationship with God. And that is because of choice we have all made to turn to something else other than God, to reject God, to rebel against him. 
to turn to the created thing rather than to find all of our joy and all of our worship and all of our value and identity and purpose in the creator himself. Things are broken. And so this good news that Paul presents, he's saying it's not just neat, it's not just nice, it's needed. This is needed news. And if you know yourself, you know things are broken. I don't have to tell you. But he also says, while things are so broken, and while our sin has impacted all of life, the good news is so much greater because there is a savior, Jesus, a savior who is greater than all of your brokenness and all of your sin, a savior whose grace and love and mercy abounds, a savior who is a redeemer, who is a healer, who is a justifier to all who trust in him. God has brought a savior and his name is Jesus. And Paul talks about this undeserved gift of grace of what God has done for us. And in chapter four, if you remember, are y'all staying with me? Because I'm doing a brief overview of Romans. Y'all still with me? Okay, so chapter four, as he, after he proclaims this gift of God in Jesus, what he says to us is what's needed is for us to trust him. In fact, we've got to transfer all of our trust so that we completely depend upon him. Because God does not save in any other way. He doesn't save those who are trying to do good under the law. He doesn't save those who are trying to work hard for God. He doesn't save those who have the right religious background or pedigree or go through the right religious ceremony. God saves the one whose heart recognizes their brokenness at need and who's from the heart calls out completely upon Jesus saying, Jesus, I transfer all of my trust to you. Jesus, I need you, I desire you, I trust you. Now last week, what we looked at was in chapter five, how for those who trust in Jesus, our life looks like a life of joy, like overflowing gratitude and joy. Because as we looked at last week, what we learned in chapter five, verses one through 11, is that for those who trust in Jesus, our past, as we look back to the past, we now look to Christ and we recognize we have peace with God. We're reconciled with God, completely good with him. As we look to our present, we enjoy the grace of God. We stand in his grace. We are a loved child of a redeeming father, and he gives grace and grace and grace to those who are in him. So our past is covered in peace, our present is covered in grace, and as we think about our future, we have nothing but hope because of the love of God that has been poured out that we know in our spirit because of his spirit in us, and we know by looking to the cross because while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And if we have been saved by him when we were sinners, how much more now can we anticipate the good that is to come now that we have been made right with him? Our past, our present, and our future all changed by Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for Jesus? So that's the journey we've been taking so far. So for those who needed a refresh or haven't been here, that's kind of where we've been. Now today, what we need to do is to move forward from here. And verse 12 starts with therefore. 
So what Paul is assuming is that up to this point, you've been tracking with what I just went through. And now he's ready to take us into the next step of understanding and appreciating Jesus. So our main point this morning is this, as we look at the passage, and I'll unpack all of this together. You're welcome to write this down or you're welcome to just follow it as we go through, but it's this. As our representative, Jesus' obedience in his life, death, and resurrection brings eternal justification eternal life and eternal grace to all who trust in him. As our representative, Jesus' obedience in his life, death, and resurrection brings eternal justification, life, and grace to all who trust in him. That is our main point this morning. And I'm, ex- I'm really excited to be able to teach this passage. I- I'll be honest, this is one of the most, if you've ever read through Romans before, I don't know many of you have, this is one of the most complex set of verses uh, in the book. There's others, we'll get to some more, but there is complexity here. And this morning, um, I know that there's a, there's a, temptation when you get to complex theological discussion for your mind just to kind of go, whew, that's a lot, and to kind of zone out and think this is kind of heady stuff, or this is just, I don't know, it may not be necessary stuff, or this is just too complex, but I want to, this morning, um, Robbie texted me last night, and he said, how do you feel about the sermon tomorrow? And I said, I just want to be able to teach this passage in a way that our church family really understands it, but also appreciates it. Because as, I'm talking as a man here, not as a pastor, as a man here, as I have gone deeper into understanding this passage, my worship has increased, and my confidence has increased in Jesus Christ. How is it that one man can truly save all who trust in him by one act of obedience? How is that possible? And I'm telling you, in this passage, if you're wanting a reason to to worship him more, to treasure him more, to have more confidence in him, if you're a thinker this morning and you're curious about how is this way of salvation possible, I really believe there's such goodness from God in this text today. So I'm encouraging you to try not to just zone out or to let it just live in your head. Allow God's word to have its intended effect to get Yes, understanding it with your head, but then to, to saturate it to your heart, to lead you to a place where even this passage this morning will, will leave you in a place where you have more treasuring and more trusting than you came in with before you heard it preached, okay? So, we're going to walk through it together. I want to start by looking at verses 12 to 14, because there are three things that Paul helps us to see, major historical events, Okay? So Paul is, here in the middle of Romans, going to go, okay, just a second, I need us to pause here, and I want us to go back and think about world history, all right? This is not middle school, but he's saying, I want us to think about world history as it is given to us in the scripture, and there's three things that you've got to understand, three major things that have happened to understand 
that you've got to understand in history. Um, We'll start here in verse 12. Therefore, now here's the first one. Just as sin came into the world through one man, okay? I'm gonna label this one, if you're making a list, the first major historical event that I want you to list is this. Paul says you've got to know that there was a time that sin entered into the world and he names it as through one man and later he's gonna identify that one man as Adam, okay? So the first major historical event, number one, sin entered the world through Adam. Of course, when you think back to the narrative of scripture and you go back to the very beginning of your Bible, you're welcome to flip there um, if you want to or you can just look at the screens. When he mentions this phrase, when sin came into the world through this one man, that's Adam, okay? In Paul's mind, what he's got is a connection for you back to the beginning narrative of how the world started in Genesis, chapter two, verses 16 and 17. When it reads, and the Lord God commanded man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then, after this instruction was given, in the next chapter, chapter 3, Genesis, verse 6 and 7, the scripture says, So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, of course, she's believing this because she's been deceived by the serpent who's been lying to her directly contradicting what God said. When the woman saw that it was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree would be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths. So when Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man, what he is talking about is this first major historical event. This moment, before this moment, there had not been sin. But at this moment, for the first time, something was introduced into the world, idolatry, rebellion against God, Rejection of God, disobedience, complete insubordination, turning away from God, unrighteousness, lawlessness, immorality. At this moment, sin entered into the world. It's not just breaking a rule or taking a bite of fruit, it's treason. It's a failure to love God as he loved us. It's an attempt to take God off of the throne and to put ourselves where only he belongs. Everybody got it? First major historical event, sin entered the world through Adam. Secondly, the second major historical event is this, and I'll show it to you in verse 12, but it's this. You can make a list. Number two, death entered the world through sin as a penalty. So what happened first was the act of turning away from God, but then something followed. After Adam turned away, 
death came. Therefore, verse 12, number one, just as sin came into the world through man, and then number two, what? Death through sin. Death through sin. Adam was to rule the world. To rule the world for God and to subdue his creation. But when he sinned, when he turned from God, he suffered greatly. The effects of Adam turning from God were enormous. The the brokenness that spiraled out of that one decision to turn away from God to self and sin, oh, It was beyond anything I'm sure that Adam ever imagined. Alienation from God, corruption, death. God had promised that this would happen, and it did. Let's look briefly back at Genesis narrative, Genesis chapter three, verse 17. Please write down these cross-references because I'm wanting you to be able to see the scripture for what it is, and hopefully later to be able to explain it to others, whether it's in your family, your friend group, those who you're discipling or winning to Christ. I want that for you, so Make notes so that later you can help others understand too. Genesis 3.17, God said to Adam, after this sin, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So when we talk about death here, under number two, there's two types of death that are happening, and I'm going to show you both of them from the Genesis narrative. You've gotta remember what we're talking about when we make the list and we say death entered the world through sin as a penalty. So what God instructed them, walk this way, and if you don't, you're gonna die. And then they walked that way, he brought death. Now the first type of death we just looked at in Genesis three is physical death. From dust you came, therefore you will go back to dust. He's speaking there, there will be a time where Adam will die. Physical death for the first time being introduced into the world as a consequence of sin. When you look at the the prospect of physical death, whether it's your own, whether it's someone else who you love, death is hard. It feels wrong and it's because it is. It's not part of God's original creation. It's an effect of the fall. Death came as a penalty for sin. But it's not just physical death, there's another kind of death because in Genesis chapter three, verse 23 and 24, as God continues to speak to them after they turn from him, it says, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
So what we see here is not only is there physical death, but also when we talk about the entrance of death, there's a kind of spiritual death that we see. Physical, we're talking about separation from the body. But in spiritual, we're talking about estrangement from God. Both physical death and spiritual death, the sense of separation from God. By the way, true life, true spiritual life is God. So apart from God, as God is pushing Adam out, he's pushing Adam out of the opportunity for true spiritual life. That's what I mean. That's death. That's spiritual death. So two effects from the second major historical event. The first one was their turning, but the second one was the entrance of death. Death physical and death spiritual. Now the third. Therefore, number one, just as sin came into the world, that's the first event, right? And number two, death through sin, and here's the third one, number three. The third major historical event is this. So death spread to all men, because all sinned. So if you're making a list, I would encourage you to write it down as this. Death spread, the third major historical event, death spread to all humans because all sinned. Death spread to all humans because all sinned. Now, This is gonna need a little bit of pause for explanation, and I'm gonna ask you to stay with me, okay? What do we mean here when we say, because all sent? Because we're talking about history here. (laughs) We're talking about things that happened in the very beginning. We're talking about major historical events, and you're saying to me that At this moment, all sinned? Okay. There's three possibilities that we need to look at, all right? This has had a lot of discussion among a lot of different people through all of church history, okay? So I'm trying to let you in a little bit to when you get to complex passages and and, and things where there's questions, you've got to go there and you've got to lean in to try to understand Douglas Moo, I like the way that he listed these, and I'm just borrowing his list because I think it's helpful to be able to summarize thought around it. So when verse 12 speaks of death spreading to all men because all sin, there's three possibilities. Either he's talking here about an imitation, basically saying, well, what Adam did was he set a bad example for the rest of us to to follow, and we've all followed that. Okay? Okay. That is a possibility, but it's problematic. And the problem is that it denies a connection between Adam and us, and it does not explain the universality of sin that Paul spoke to in chapter three, verse 20. All of us have sinned. So how is it that if it's just an example that every single one of us have followed that example? That's curious. Number two, second possibility is an infection. In other words, like Adam's sin introduced a stain into the human race itself, a stain on human nature that leads us to inevitably turn away from God. 
rather than toward him. In other words, people are kind of bent towards sin from birth. That is a possibility. But in many ways, it is problematic, and one of them is that it doesn't explain a process that would connect Adam and us and that bent. The third possibility, which is a possibility that we espouse and I will teach this morning here at ICC, is that of inclusion. And by inclusion, what we're talking about is representation. As we look at this phrase, because all sinned, we know that in the Greek, this is an aorist tense, which indicates a single past action. That may not mean something to you, but here's why I think it should, okay? Because what it's pointing to is that a single point in the past at the moment of Adam's turning from God, at the moment of his disobedience, his act of unrighteousness, at the moment of his rebellion against God, at that single past action, as he sinned, and death and brokenness came because of his sin, at that same moment, all of us sinned. All of us. As a human race, all of us in Adam sinned. It's not saying that all humans died because we're like Adam. It's saying that all humans died because we're all in Adam. Do you see the difference? That's what we're talking about. Now, you go, well, wait, um, excuse me? <laughs> can, can we hold up for a second? Because I wasn't even there. <laughs> Anybody feel that at this moment? That, that does not seem cool with me. You're talking about something that happened thousands of years ago. And I wasn't even there. <laughs> Come on. And yet, verse 13 and 14 seem to indicate that this inclusion interpretation is the right one. Because in verse 13 it says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. What he's saying here is that nobody would argue that death was around before the giving of the law. So even though Adam was only given that one instruction, that was a kind of law to Adam, and then there's a ton of time before the actual law, the written law was given through Moses, in that span... There was death. And what is death? It is a penalty for what? Sin. So what Paul is proving to us is that 
Adam's sin broke not just Adam, but broke all of us. Broke the whole course of humanity. And death began to reign. Now, some of us are still going, uh, say what? This is not cool with me. And here's the reason that I believe this is not cool with you. It's because you live in the West and you are highly individualistic, aren't you? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm highly individualistic. I'm just, you don't have to do that. Some of y'all did it though. Y'all already know, okay. I was definitely not gonna ask you to say to your neighbor, you are highly individualistic because that wouldn't go well for our marriages here. Um, In the West, we have a major culture clash here with the Bible uh, because we are a highly individualistic society. Um, Growing up here in the U.S., we have this kind of rugged individualism built into our culture. We are taught that my choices determine who I will be. My choices determine what I will do. My choices determine how successful I will be. Now, here's what you gotta know. The Bible does not deny individual responsibility, okay? The Bible does not deny that you have responsibility individually. But the culture of the Bible is different than the West. The culture of the Bible is a corporate way of thinking. Um, it has a much stronger sense for the way that people relate to one another and the way that a decision of one can affect the decision of many. And in this passage, you have to understand a key biblical concept, and I need everybody to work hard to understand this. Because if you don't understand this, you're never gonna get the goodness of what Paul's trying to teach us in this text. Paul is helping us to understand what we call like a representative, or some might call a federal head. This is a biblical concept. It's used in the Old Testament and it's extending here into the New. By representative, here's what we mean. We're talking about a person who through a covenant relationship represents or stands in for someone else to the degree that whatever that person achieves or whatever that person loses, they achieve or lose. Um, Okay? Uh, Classic example in the Old Testament, I'm thinking Joshua. Some of y'all studied the book of Joshua. Uh, Achan, single son of Achan, chapter 7, God comes and says, you, Israel, have sinned. Single person, consequence applied to the whole, okay? I was trying to think through and read through examples of how we understand this in the West because it's such a foreign concept. For those who come from an Eastern culture, you probably today are like, why are you having to explain this? I get this. I get it. We think collectively. Here in the West, we need a little help. I was thinking the best personal example I could come up with was field day. That's very lame, I know. Elementary school, I got elected to represent my third grade class at one of the most manly of manly sports that you could imagine. It was thump football. (laughs) Flick football, you know, where you flick it across the table. Please don't laugh. I really did that. 
In fact, it was one of the only first place ribbons, I'm proud to say, that our class brought home. What I did in that game of flick football, football counted for the whole class, right? I was a representative of Ms. Jenkins' third grade class, all right? What happened with me, we all achieved or could have been the opposite. If I had lost, it would have counted for all of us, all right? That's a lame example. A couple of better ones, all right? We can think about a trade union. We can think about someone from a union electing leadership that would then get the right to go and negotiate a contract on behalf of the union. And whatever they do, we all have agreed that's best for all of us. Whatever they act on, happens for all of us. You could think about government. You could think about an ambassador, like someone who had the power to negotiate on behalf of the country, so whatever actions they take actually bind the whole country in an agreement. Maybe a better example that we all understand is like a president. President Biden today can declare war with China if he would like, after the balloon fiasco yesterday. Did y'all see that in the news? So today, he could go and declare war We don't get to vote on that. The country votes on him as our representative, but he has the power to declare war. And you wouldn't get the chance to say, well, he's at war with China. No, we, suddenly we get grouped into that. We as the United States being citizens of this country, that we would all have consequences for that action. We understand that kind of representation. One final one is if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket, or you've ever had to deal with anything of legal matters, you might uh, have hired an attorney and you sign a power of attorney which gives your legal counsel the authority to represent you in different ways. So all of this, hopefully, is helping us understand this idea of representation. Everybody with me? So what Paul is saying is that Adam... He is our federal head. By God's choosing, he stood in for us. He was our representative. And therefore, all of us, all of us because of his sin become guilty in him because we actually by his representation, we're found also to be guilty. Now, yes, I believe it's inclusion, but even if you do not want to hold that it's inclusion, you certainly can say that it has been infection. Because every single one of us without exception have made the same choices that Adam made. In our own time, in our own way, we have all turned from God. And we're guilty. Now the reason this is so important is because of what the Bible teaches us in verse 14. Yes, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and two, death through sin, and three, death spread to all men because all sin. And this is a kind of representation. 
So if you can get this, here's why this is so important. (laughs) Because there's good news in Jesus Christ. While Adam was a kind of representative of us, what we read here is that he was a, what? A type of the one who was to come. In other words, what Paul's teaching is, while Adam is our federal head and representative, he is a pattern of one who was to come. And ultimately, this is meant to lead us to understand Jesus, to appreciate Jesus, to understand how is it that one man can save? How is it that the actions of this one can truly give me confidence that what he did counts for me? How is it that I can really trust this one for my salvation? What he's saying is if you understand it with Adam, then you need to understand that as Jesus shows up on the scene, Jesus is a new Adam. God brings Jesus in as a new representative. (laughs) And it's glorious. I want to make a chart together and as we finish out our study of this text because our attention is turning now to Jesus. And I want you to see that while you may not like the concept of representation as it relates to your relationship with Adam, you need to embrace it because in fact, it's through this very kind of representation that God is able to save all who trust in Jesus. It's through this kind of federal headship that God's salvation comes. So we're gonna look at it together um, as we fill out this chart. So if you've got your notes, I want you to start by filling in the, the first part of the chart as we contrast Adam and Jesus, and we'll look at it through the text. First, with Adam, what you have is a single act of selfishness. But with Jesus, what you have is a single act of selflessness. You've got two historical figures. Both of them are representatives. Both of them are federal heads. And what Paul is saying is you've got to see that yes, while what happened with Adam is horrendous, what happened with Jesus is wonderful. In verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. That's where this point comes from. With Adam, you had someone who is so obsessed with himself that he became a taker. God had given everything generously for him, graciously in the garden that he needed, and yet it wasn't enough. And rather than being content in God, enjoying God, enjoying what God provided, Adam went after more. He was a taker. And all of us, at one point or another in our lives, just like Adam, have been takers. But Jesus, as you look at him, he's not a selfish taker like Adam. Instead, he is a selfless giver. The free gift. 
What he's saying is as you look at Jesus and you look at his representation, look at the way that he is a federal head. You've got one who is not selfish in any way. He didn't come to be served, but rather, Mark says, to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. We got one who from his heart was completely content in God and therefore with all that he had, including his life itself, he gave and he gave with a heart of love for you. Not thinking about himself at all, but thinking about those who he came to serve. Aren't you grateful for a new Adam in Jesus Christ? One who is selfless and not selfish. Secondly, as we contrast Adam and Jesus, we see that Adam was disobedient. In other words, he was found breaking the law, but not so with Jesus. (laughs) Jesus was found fulfilling the law. In verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died, through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift, here it is again, by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's, what? Sin. What he's pointing out is that when you look at Adam's representation, how he was a federal head, he was one who was disobedient. He was one who was found breaking the law. He was a sinner. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of the one man's what? Trespass, again, this is a kind of word describing a breaking of the law. Because of his breaking, of the law, death reigned through this one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of what? Righteousness. This is a word that indicates sinlessness. It indicates in every way obedient, in every way compliant, in every way submitted, in every way surrendered. How much more will the free gift of righteousness He's talking about our new Adam, our new representative, Jesus, who is found completely obedient, and in his obedience, he fulfilled the law. I think sometimes uh, we don't focus enough on the obedience of Jesus. Jesus, as he was obedient, He was both actively obedient and passively obedient, meaning he was active in obedience in his life and he was submitted in his obedience unto death. And he was then, after three days, raised from the grave. But in every single act of obedience, you need to see your salvation. As you read the Gospels and you look at the life of Jesus. You have to look at every single act of obedience. It's a matter of life or death for you. Because perfect righteousness was stated. Jesus was a new Adam. 
Whereas the first Adam was disobedient. And this is what's so crazy, you guys. Adam was told that he would get blessing and life if he obeyed, right? Do y'all remember that? If Adam obeyed, he would get blessing and he would get life. And yet, he disobeyed. Now, fast forward and look at our new Adam, Jesus Christ. Jesus foreknew that he would face agony and death if he obeyed. And yet, he obeyed. Aren't you grateful for the righteousness of a new federal head, a new representative? Aren't you grateful for his obedience? Whereas Adam was disobedient, Jesus was obedient and therefore fulfilled all needed for righteousness. Third, as you fill out your chart, with the first Adam, the result of his action was what? Death. But with Jesus, the result of his action is life. <laughs> Verse 17, we just read it. For if, because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in what? Life. So you have this contrast between death and then here, life. What Paul's saying is, you remember when we talked about those major historical events? Adam, first event was he sinned. And the second event was there was a consequence to that sin. Death came in as a penalty. But when we get to the new Adam, Jesus Christ, there is an action in a major historical event that happened. Number one, Jesus obeyed. Jesus obeyed perfectly in his life and he submitted to the Father perfectly in his death as a substitute for sinners. And number two, because of his obedient choice in life and death, life, whereas death came through Adam, life, number two, the major historical event of Jesus, life now comes through Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for a grand reversal of all that Adam did, Jesus coming to do for all who believe? Aren't you grateful? Fourth, Not only does Jesus have the opportunity to bring us physical life and spiritual life again, it's a grand reversal. But fourth, whereas Adam brought condemnation, Jesus, he brings justification. If you look at verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. What, what Paul is saying is, 
If you remember back to the Genesis story, like as soon as Adam took that action, he rebelled against God. Consequence came. And that consequence was not just like physical death, but he got pushed out. Like he got guilt on him and shame on him. He realized his eyes were open and they realized they were naked and they hid from God because they knew that they were wrong. They knew that they had broken God's law. They knew that they deserved to be pushed out. That's condemnation. But with Jesus Christ, a new Adam, a new representative, a new federal head, his action has now flung open the door to come back into the garden and to be accepted again, to enjoy the intimacy of God again, to be made right with him again, to not be considered condemned and guilty and ashamed, but accepted and given grace and free, forgiven and free. Do you see what Jesus has made possible? Condemnation turned now into justification, fifth. Whereas with Adam, his action, many were made sinners. Well, with Jesus and his action, many were made righteous. Verse 19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Suddenly, the door flings open to the grace of God. And as Jesus steps onto the scene and he lives in obedience and he dies for our forgiveness. And after three days in the grave, he rises to new life and he lives today. By his action, the Bible proclaims that if you trust in him, if you receive him as your representative, as your federal head, if you put all of your dependence on him, what he has done is enough to declare you righteous before God. No longer does God see you, treat you as a sinner worthy of condemnation, but as a son who has been justified and who has been made righteous in his sight. What grace of Jesus Christ, last but not least. And this is one of the most significant and important. As with Adam, Death reigns in sin. But with Jesus, grace reigns in eternal life. Verse 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21. So, that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. I am so grateful 
that Jesus ushers in a new kind of reign. Because if all we had was Adam, then what we would be left with is sin and bondage into sin that led to death upon death upon death with no hope. But God did not leave us just with that one representative, Adam. God brought in a new way of representation for all who believe. God brought in a savior, Jesus Christ, his only son because he loves you. And because of Jesus, the curse of sin and bondage to sin and the pattern of death is now broken. And grace reigns. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks to this. Go look at it later. You can read verses that speak to the difference of Adam and Jesus and how with the resurrection of Jesus, we can be confident that grace and life reign. We are in a new era of God's abounding grace. Sin did not have the last word. (laughs) I love this quote. God's grace to humanity is greater than humanity's rebellion against God. Aren't you grateful that God's grace to you is greater than your rebellion against him? Where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more. The word picture is like grace superabounds. So you might think that your sin is just too great for him to save you, but you would think wrongly <laughs> because his grace is greater than your sin. Where your sin increased, His grace abounds. So the question I leave you with today as I close is a reflection. It's a reflection that Paul wants for you to have. Because see, all of us are either in Adam or we're in Jesus. At this moment, um, we're one or the other. In other words, Either you've got Adam as your federal head and representative, or you've got Jesus as your federal head and representative. But what you've got to know is, Adam is automatically your representative simply by the fact that you share in his humanity. That's just automatic for all of us. All of us are found guilty of sin. All of us face penalty of death, both physical and spiritual. All of us get stuck in the bondage of sin without hope of relationship with God under Adam. And that is automatic for us in our flesh. But there is a a new way that God has opened, a way of salvation. A way of salvation in Jesus Christ 
through representation in him. How then can I be, how, how can I get a new representative? How, how then is it possible for if I'm automatically under Adam, how then is it possible to, be, to come out of that sin and condemnation and, and death and, and to come into this new life and grace and justification and righteousness abounding into eternity? Well, the answer is faith. The way to have a new representation is to confess to God that you need new representation. To confess to God that you're broken. To confess to God that you're needy. To confess to God that you are sinful. To confess to God that you are worthy of condemnation. To, to confess to God how desperately you need a new representation. And then to look to Jesus and to really believe to really believe that Jesus came as a new Adam, to really believe that he came for this purpose by his act, by his obedience, in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. You look to Jesus and from your heart of hearts really believes, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you came to be a new representative for me. <laughs> and not just to believe it with your head, but then to trust him with your whole heart and life. And Jesus, I want to come under your representation. Jesus, I want to come under your salvation. Jesus, I surrender to you. Represent me. Be my representative. Oh, Jesus, I want you. I need you. I love you. I trust you. That's what it looks like to be saved. The question is not whether or not you're in Adam or in Jesus, but really, yeah, where are you? Where are you here? I pray this morning that you know that as our representative, Jesus obeyed in life, death, and resurrection, and by his obedience, there has been made possible eternal justification and life and grace to all who trust him. And I pray today that you'll be one who confesses the need for new representation and puts your trust in Jesus. Father, thank you so much for this word and we pray, God, that you would work it into our hearts that we might have opportunity to be saved, to be made new, to be brought to life, to grow in our appreciation and in our confidence of who you are and all you've done for us. Father, I pray, God, for those who are here and they are still under the representation of Adam. Lord, they're still in sin. They're still in bondage. Oh God, I pray today would be a day of life. Oh God, even right now, would you save? Even right now? If you're here today, it's possible, even right now, to just confess your sin. To turn to Jesus. To believe him. And to trust him. To treasure him. To surrender to him. Today is a day of salvation. Oh, Father, I pray you would save. I also pray, God, that you would increase worship and confidence in those of us who have turned to you, Jesus. That as we understand you in this new and deepening way, that we would appreciate you more and more. That we would treasure and trust you more and more. Thank you, Jesus, for stepping in as a new Adam. Thank you, Jesus, 
for your obedience in life, death, and resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, that your grace abounds over our sin. I pray that we would look to you, that we would trust you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.